can stuff your sorries in a sack, mister. Would you please stop saying that? George, I'm sorry. Oh, you can stuff your sorries in a sack, mister. I don't know what that means. I'm really sorry. You can stuff your sorries in a sack, mister. <laughs> it's an expression. Hey. Sorry. Yeah, you stuff your sorries in a sack, mister. Well, have you ever wanted to say that to someone? You can stuff your sorries in a sack. Because there's times where a sorry really doesn't mean anything. From an early age, we would teach our daughters when they misbehaved and did something wrong to say sorry. And as the years went on, we all of a sudden discovered that when they said sorry, it was really code for get off my back. I'm not sorry. And uh, we started to say to them, we don't want you to say sorry anymore. We want you to say, I apologize, and we want you to really mean it. Your sorries are worth nothing. I remember one time when they, I mean, this is horrible as parents. They were like five years old, and uh, they, the, these twins had done something, and Mariah had not done it. So the punishment was that they had to pull the grass along the side of the fence that was up too high. And you would have thought we were like, you know, making them walk on hot coals or something. They hurt my hands and, you know, but because sorry wasn't doing it. We wanted them to think again. And so, you know, we, we all have been in that place where someone says sorry to us. Uh, we say sorry to someone else. And honestly, we really, really don't mean it. And uh, I would like to really blame this one game for the reason for that. Uh, this game is just uh, just has hurt society so much because it's caused us to use the word sorry in an inappropriate Always way. Always remember to forgive and forget. Sorry, hit me, I'll get you back. The game of sorry. Slide, switch, and bump your way home before someone makes you sorry. and sends you back. Do we understand? Sorry, hit me, I'll get you back. Sorry. And you may say, Dave, you're just over the top about that game. But that game, we are teaching our kids to say sorry when they're not sorry. They are never sorry when they knock your britches off. That is not true. So anyway, we set this thing up that sorry, externally they say sorry. Um, it doesn't really matter. And as we've been looking at seeking the king, realizing that uh, all of us inside have this desire to have uh, a, a person in our life, uh, a, a leader in our life that we can actually trust. And we're going to say, you know, we're church and we believe that God is that person that we're seeking to fill that void with other things. Uh, sometimes when it comes to an election, sometimes when it comes to a boss, sometimes when it comes to whatever, we're, we're seeking this, this being, this, this person to kind of be our future king, to kind of lead us and that we can trust. And we're looking at uh, getting started with the nation of Israel when they were just before they had a king, when they had judges and they're going to move into kings. But even when we get to the place where we look at King David, we're going to see he had everything to offer. Perfect king, all the credentials, the heart for it, and even the best that they could offer as king really wasn't perfect. They let everybody down. And so we're seeing that as we seek the king, as we're seeking, the only king in our life that won't let us down is Jesus Christ. I'll let you down. Your friends will let you down. People will let you down. But the only one you can completely, absolutely trust is not letting you down is God himself. 
And so as we think about this story, uh, uh, we look at uh, Israel nation, uh, this Samuel, Eli, and uh, Eli is uh, the judge, and his two sons are not that great, actually are pretty wicked, and uh, they're not going to be the next, uh, the next uh, judges. And we see this back and forth to see this nation, in a sense, saying they're sorry. Uh, they go into battle uh, one day, and they lose 3,000 men. And the nation is just sorry. They're wondering what happened. Why did this happen? So they go back. And this next time, they grab Eli's two sons, grab the Ark of the Covenant, which symbolizes the presence of God. And they think that that's the answer. They don't ask the right questions. In they come again with the Ark of God, the presence of God symbolized. And they lose 10 times worse than the previous battle. And they actually lose the Ark. And it's just, it's just a terrible time. And uh, again, they're, they're sorry about losing these battles. They're sorry about what's going on. But they're really like this individual. As a disciplinary measure, he is going to have to issue a formal apology. Dwight, have you prepared your statement of regret? I have. Let's hear it. <clears throat> I state my regret. You couldn't have memorized that? I could not because I do not feel it. <laughs> How many times has uh, someone in your life uh, given there you're sorry and you can tell, not as simple as that, but you can tell they're not feeling it and you're not feeling it. Again, this idea that uh, sorries uh, can be just, uh, you know, unengagement just because you have to, which then just reminds me of this situation. I apologize. That's what's important. It doesn't matter if you apologize if it's not sincere. Apologies don't have to be sincere. It's just the act of the apology itself. It's only, all that matters is if you're acting sincere. That is literally the only thing an apology has to be, is sincere. Otherwise, it's just words. I'm acting sincere. Of course, I don't believe it. Here at this company, we believe in sincerity. Janine has your severance package at the front desk. Your things have been packed up. You can tell the delivery company to take them wherever you need them to be. I'm sorry it had to be like this. Are you sorry? Are you really sorry? No. You see? You did the exact same thing I did. You apologized, but you didn't mean it. (laughs) See, it just keeps going and going and going. And if we were to take a look again, we've looked at it the last few weeks, we're going to see that Israel is regretful, is sorry, but it's more that they're dealing with the consequences. And then then when the Philistines get the ark and they go back and forth, and we've talked about that, they're sorry, but they're sorry about the consequences. None of these groups of people at this point are really sorry. Uh, They haven't gotten there yet. And sometimes in our own life, we're sorry because of the consequences, but we're really not sorry. Uh, It's not been a change of heart, a change of mind. And we're going to see in chapter 7 that eventually the Israelites become sorry. The full-fledged, full-engaged sorry. And as we read through the story, we're going to see that it took them, sad to say, 20 years. 20 years before they were sorry, 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 really sorry. 
And we have to ask ourselves, when it comes to our relationship, first and foremost, with God, are we sorry for our disobedience, for our selfishness, for our sin? Those are hard words, but are we, we really sorry? Are we sorry because we've gotten the results, the, the spanking, if you will, the consequences, uh, life's falling apart, so now we're sorry? Or are we actually sorry at a heart level because we know even if we didn't have negative consequences, even if we could get away with it, we're sorry because we know that God is holy, which we talked about last week. And even in his holiness, he wants to provide a way. We sang songs about how Jesus provides a way for us to, to have a relationship with God, in a sense, in spite of his holiness, uh, because he just we can't have that. And Jesus paid the price, died, and rose again. We'll celebrate that uh, in two weeks at Easter. So this whole idea of where our sorry is at. So if you want to turn to 1 Samuel 7, Verse 2, chapter 7, First uh, Samuel 7, chapter verse 2. Uh, that's page 187 in that little rack Bible. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to take that as a gift from Seneca Community Church if you want a paper Bible. Also, really encourage you to download the Bible app uh, from Version. It is free, and you can have that on your phone or your iPad or your tablet or whatever, wherever you go. So we're just going to read through this, and then we'll talk about it, and uh, we'll make some, um, some points, and hopefully we'll have some uh, takeaways. The ark remained at Keresh Jehoram a long time, 20 years in all. Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Asherah, and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their bales and their asterisks and served the Lord only. Now I have to remember these two gods, uh, Baal was the number one god, asterisk was right there. One was over um, food and sustenance and, and, and those kinds of things. And then asterisk is over, um, for no better word, um, fertility. And uh, these two gods uh, kind of like were an item, if you know what I mean. And uh, so a part of worshiping these two gods was to encourage them to get down to business. And when they got down to business and all that, then you would have better crops, you'd be better off and all of this kind of thing. So the pagan worship that Israelites who had seen God all the way from the Exodus move all the way through, the, what they were involved with is they're involved with that kind of thing. So they would go to one of these temples and there were temple prostitutes and they thought if they performed the act themselves, it would encourage these two to perform the act, which then would bless their lives. And so it's interesting. Israel trusted God for, in a sense, their uh, deliverance, their exodus, and all those kinds of things. But when it came to everyday life, when it came to food and all of that, they didn't trust God. And sometimes those of you who are Christ followers who have said yes to Christ, we find ourselves in that same place. We, we trust God for our salvation. We trust God for a right relationship with God that Christ, through Christ Jesus forgives our sins, makes us right, makes us acceptable because of what Christ has done for us. 
And so we take that, we, we, we feel pretty confident about heaven, sometimes a little uncomfortable, but yes, I've done that, so, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've received Christ, I've received this free gift, so my eternity is secure, we're banking on that, all those kinds of things. But when it comes to the day-in and day issues, the days of substance, the days of work, the days of, you know, making life happen, often, even those of us who are Christ followers really don't completely trust God for the everyday stuff. Last week, we looked at Romans 12, 1 and 2, and the idea of offering your life is, is our worship, trusting God with, with the daily stuff, the basic stuff. And uh, we, we sometimes have a hard time with that. Some of you who are non-Christ followers have met Christians who, who claim to follow Christ, and all of us have fallen, none of us are perfect, and uh, we've created, in a sense, a, a lack of authenticity because we claim something, but we don't live something. And if that's a stumbling block for you, I can understand that, but don't let that hold you back from a holy, righteous God that loves you and wants to have a relationship with you that starts in the here and now and will carry you all the way through to eternity. And that, that's just a fantastic thing. Not only the promise of eternity, but the promise of God walking with you, helping you as you follow him in this chapter of life. So the Israelites had messed that up. We messed that up. So here again, we come back to a story that's 3,000 years ago, but it still applies to us. Moving on, Samuel, then Samuel assembled all Israel at Mizpah, and I will intercede for the Lord, with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water out and poured it out before, they, before the Lord. On that day they fasted, and there they confessed, we have sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as the leader of Israel at Mizpah. Again, they're, they're, they're owning it. And a part of really, really, really being sorry is owning it. Um, sometimes you and I can say, if I did something wrong, but. That's not owning it. It's not owning it relationally. It's not owning it when we are talking with the Lord. Yeah, that did happen, but if it's wrong, if, you know, and all this kind of stuff, they were owning it. And we all go through seasons in life where we own our sin, own our mistakes, if we want to call them that, moan our selfishness, and then there's other times we make excuses. And in this moment, for the most part, no one's doing this perfectly, but Israel is owning it. Now, when the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. This is like 20 years earlier. This is like that battle where they first lost 3,000, and then the next time they lost even more men, and they lost the Ark of the Covenant. This is like deja vu. 20 years earlier, the same kind of thing happened. And when the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord for, of our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Samuel is kind of being like an intermediate. He's kind of a picture of what Christ will be like when Christ comes. We could look at passages that talk that Christ is at the right hand of the Father, and when you and I blow it, when you and I sin, He's, he's kind of talking with the Father, I, I, I took care of that sin. 
I died for that. I understand that. Remember, I went through all that. I understand what temptation's like. I know they were weak and they fell by that, and I didn't. That's the reason I was a perfect lamb of God. But I get that, and, and he intercedes for us. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Again, pointing to Christ being the Lamb of God. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day, the Lord thundered and loud with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The Israelites didn't have to do anything at this point. Remember the last battle, 20 years earlier. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below Beth Hale. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mespa and Shen, he named it Ebenezer. We sang a song actually last week about Ebenezer. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Saying, thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and they stopped invading Israel's territory. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. We see this hand of the Lord a lot of times. The hand of the Lord was on them. It was heavy on them. Now that the Israelites have been serious they're really, really, really sorry. They're not playing games. Again, they're not perfect, but they're moving in that direction. They're trying to live a life that honors and pleases God. Not to earn his love, but to celebrate his love. I hope you get that. If you're thinking about Christ and thinking about having him in your life, you are not trying to live a life that makes uh, Christ love you. He already loves you fully, completely. He's not going to love you anymore. He loves you wholly. The only reason you change your actions and behaviors is because when you say yes to Christ, God joins your life with the Holy Spirit, leads you and guides you, and you want to please God talked about this before i know with my father when i was young i was worried about getting punished so that's why i sometimes did what i was supposed to now that i'm older much older now i want to please my father not because i'm worried about getting punished or spanked even though sometimes you might want to do that i want to please him because i love him because he loves me I even want to please my mother sometimes. So that's the order. That's the order. You, your behavior changes, not because you're trying to earn anything. Grace and mercy, that is for you. But you live in the light of that. So you change your life. And it's, and it, it and it's not to be a burden. Yes, it can be a challenge. Yes, it can be different. But it's not to be a burden because as you and I walk more in line with God, we experience him more in our life. We're more aware of him. And we were born to seek the king that is perfect and that will never let us down. The towns from Ekron to Gath that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored to Israel. 
and Israel delivered the neighboring territory from the hands of the Philistines. This was a bad year for the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel continued as Israel's leader all the days of his life. From year to year, he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgag to Mespah, judging Israel in all those places. But he always went back to Ramah, where his home was, and there he also held court for Israel, and he built an altar to the Lord there. So when we're talking about sorry and being really sorry, and the title of this message is Course Change, we're really talking about the theological, spiritual Bible word and all that stuff just means the all about God. Doctrine just means teaching. It's a fancy word. You know, people go, oh, doctrine. It's just teaching. Just a different language. So we get over that. But um, anyway, so you read this, and repentance is a course change. Repentance is a course change. So when Israel was sorry for the consequences, they didn't change their course, not until 20 years later. Again, I can be sorry for certain actions because I'm living with the consequences. And it's until I change course that that really demonstrates that I'm owning it and it's mine and I change a course. Which then I hate to say to you because this is very humbling. I have to ask myself, when was the last time I was not just sorry, but I changed the course of my life? Big way, small way. When was the last time? When did I, did I actually make a course change? How many times was it just discipline? And then when the discipline wore off, the course change wore off. I want to be a person of repentance where things really change. I think if you're a Christ follower, you want to be a person of repentance. You want to embrace that. That's a great thing to repent and to change the course of your life. And along the way, the consequences for the negativity of being self-centered, being sinful, whatever you want to call it, starts to dissipate. That makes you a better spouse, makes you a better father, makes you a better child, makes you a better employee, makes you a better whatever. Repentance is a course change. And when I talk about this often, I talk about uh, two kinds of repentance because there's two kinds of words. And uh, one I like to call uh, decaffeinated repentance. Decaffeinated repentance, there's the Greek fancy word for that that I'm not going to try to pronounce, conveys a change of mind such as to produce regret or even remorse on account of a sin, but not necessarily a change of no change of heart. You feel bad with the consequences. I can think growing up, having consequences, not changing my heart, but just not happy about the consequences. Everything from being grounded. I remember one time I was in the back room of the basement. That's where the washing machine and dryer were. And my dad was uh, letting me have it for something. And he could tell I wasn't there. He could tell. It was just like, okay, get this over with. And uh, some of you may disagree with this, but I, I needed it. 
and I saw in the corner of my arm, uh, eye his hand coming up to give me a little attitude adjustment. I was about 16, 17 because I had my driver's license, and I thought I would do this kung fu move. I went, wah! And I stopped him. And then the discussion really went on. He pulled his keys out of the car of his pocket and said, these keys belong to my car. I am in charge. You will never drive it again. This is my house. You li and we went through the whole thing. Now he had my attention. Now he had my attention. And uh, there was some course changes. Not total course change, but some course changes. These things take time, you know. I'm still working on it. Decaffeinated coffee doesn't give your heart an uptick, does it? Doesn't do anything for you. I can remember one time a visiting city when we were dating. She lived three hours away, and, uh, you know, you're in love, and I worked a full day, and I drove the three hours up, spent some time with her, left way too late, and she fixed some coffee for me. On the way home, I was like, I couldn't believe how tired I was. I was winding down the windows, music was blaring, piano, and I, I just couldn't believe it. And I uh, got home, made it, and was just exhausted. And uh, next day I was talking to her, and I discovered the reason why I was so tired is she gave me instant coffee. She was trying to kill me. but <laughs> Or at least her parents were. <laughs> Decaffeinated coffee, it smells like coffee, tastes like coffee, but isn't coffee. In the old King James, you read about Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus. Jesus, which had betrayed him when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself. So Judas repented? No, it's that word, sorry, without the heart engaged. You see, the caffeinated repentance, different word, conveys a change of one's mind and purpose and life. Israel had changed their focus. They were all in with God. They were no longer doing these other gods on the side. They changed their mind, the course of their lives. They changed the way they looked at their life. They no longer were going to follow those two other gods and other gods. They were all in with God. That was really being sorry. When were those last time that you were really sorry and you changed your mind about something so after a little while your actions changed? When was that? That is repentance. And if we believe that we have not uh, arrived, some Christians think they've arrived, but if you believe you have not arrived, there's still room for repentance in your life. You just need to figure out where those items are. And I'm going to say, for most of us, it's not a mystery. It's not like we have to go on this big quest to figure out where our life is out of line with God's best for our life. Where we're being self-centered. And then when we find that item, we say, you know, my thinking is going to change about this. I'm not going to tell you what I was watching at the time. It was nothing outrageous. But I can remember really liking uh, this, um, this character, uh, these movies about him and all this kind of thing. 
And then one day it dawned on me that I did not like the way he treated women. Especially when I had daughters. And I said, you know, I wouldn't want any of my girls to come in contact with a guy like that. So all of a sudden, these movies that I really liked, I stopped liking. I had a change of heart about because I didn't like the way this guy portrayed himself. So I was sorry, but I repented in a sense because I changed my mind and now my appetite for those movies. Every once in a while, one's on and I'll turn it on and within a few minutes, I'm like, I I just can't watch this. I don't like that guy. My heart's been changed. Never was on the radar, you know, 30 years ago. There needs to be more of that kind of repentance in our life as Christ followers, not just for your benefit, not just for my benefit, but also for the people in our lives because then they see claimed values being lived values. And nothing, nothing discourages other people about Christianity than claimed values that aren't lived values. And I'll tell you, you may think people don't notice, but they notice. They know where you're living, where you claim something and don't live it. And the bumper sticker that says Christians aren't perfect, they're just forgiven, only has so much traction. That's not permission to live a silly or a sinful, selfish life. Oh, it's, I'm, 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 ca- I'm okay because I have that bumper sticker. That's my philosophy. I don't have to be perfect. No, you're never going to be perfect, but you want to move in the direction of following Christ, of living the way he lived, and so that involves uh, repentance. A message like this can really sting. And I love what Paul says to the church at Corinth. He says this, the stress that drives us to God does that. It turns us around. It gets us back in the way of salvation, not earning your salvation, but living the saved life. We never regret that kind of pain, but those who let the stress drive them away from God are full of regrets and end up on a deathbed of regrets. When you feel not not guilt from Dave Spencer, not guilt from your mother or your father or your kids or whatever, but when you feel conviction from God, that's what we're talking about here. And that's a good thing, because that pain gets our attention. But don't be like the Israelites. It's really fun to be able to pick on them 3,000 years later. It took them 20 years to change their hearts, to really, really, really be sorry, to repent. How long is it going to take you? This year? Next year? 20 years? Or are you never going to repent to God? Are you never going to have that initial repentance where you establish a relationship with God by placing your trust in him? Don't let that distress. Don't say, I can't believe Dave said that or I can't believe that person said that, especially when it's true. And it's not Dave Spencer saying it. Hopefully, it's what God has said through his word. First John, I like this. If we boast that we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves. 
and are strangers to the truth. But if we freely admit our sins, when his light uncovers them, I like that line, he will be faithful to forgive us every time. God is just to forgive us our sins because of Christ, and he will continue to cleanse us, that process, from all unrighteousness. But the flip side of that is true. There's judgment. God is a God of love, but God is a holy God. We talked about that last week. There is judgment for unrepented sin. Christ follower, you will answer for the way you've lived your life, the way you've used your life. I'll answer for that. That, that, that keeps me awake sometimes at night. I hope there's less regrets. I hope there's less of that. But I'm aware of that. And person that has never said yes to Christ, this is hard to swallow, but I'd be practicing spiritual mis- uh, malpractice if I didn't say this. If you have never asked for forgiveness, as we saw a couple weeks, every knee is going to take a bow, every knee is going to sit, you're going to have to take a knee in Christ's presence. The question is it will be in judgment, total separation for God from eternity, and that includes hell and all those kinds of things. And we don't like to even think about that. We don't like that God. We say that's more of an Old Testament God. But you see Jesus talking about it. It's, our, it's your choice. What are we going to do with that? So real quickly, true repentance or course change is being captivated by what God wants. Being captivated, letting it kind of own you, uh, being super aware. Uh, try to think of some things you're captivated. Some of you are thinking about getting a new car, and everywhere you drive, you see that new car. You're captivated by it. Some of you are thinking about mowing your lawn. I'm just like watching patches turn green. I'm like putting salt on it or something to kill it so it doesn't have to mow it or something. I can't stand. Yeah, I don't want to do that. But uh, it's captivating me. I'm seeing it come. I see things starting to poke through the ground. My lawn will be captivating me for about an hour and a half weekly, maybe even twice weekly. I just ever, if I move the deck up higher and higher, it's easier to cut it, and that'll grow higher and higher. But anyway, that's all another story. What is captivating you? If you're captivated, you do what the Lord wants you to do. And going back to 1 Samuel 7, 3 through 4, we see them being captivated by God. What captivates you? What owns you? Back to them, they were captivated by two gods that were about... um, the real earthy stuff, the, the sustenance, food, and all that kind of stuff, and supplies, and that was one God, and then fertility, that was another God. They were captivated by sex, all these kinds of things. That's what captivated them. Jesus says this when he talks about what captivates you. He says, you, can worship, you can't worship two gods at once. Loving one God, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other, You can't worship God and money both. And really what's saying money is is the power that comes from that. I mean, it's great when you have some money. You can do things. You can buy things. You're not limited by things. So I I get that. You know, but do you trust God? Do we trust God with all the things, not just our salvation, 
but our everyday thing. We can't worship two. Uh, in our society, we'd say you can't have two spouses, right? <laughs> so same kind of thing. You can't have two gods. You can't have two, uh, you know, it just, it just doesn't, doesn't work. Also, true repentance or course change embraces God's grace humbly. Humbly. Um, have you gotten too used to God's forgiveness? Have you become too used to God's forgiveness? We just talked about that bumper sticker. Does that kind of like give you a pass? I personally don't have bumper stickers on my car, really, that are, that are uh, you know, Christian, because when I'm driving down the turnpike, if I'm going way too fast, it runs over. Oh, that's not Christian. That sounds horrible. I do have the little church one, but it's so small, you have to get really close to see it, right? Anyway. But have you become used to God's forgiveness? Do you have a, almost have like a contempt for it? One of those uh, old dead guys that wrote all kinds of books, you know, hundreds of years ago writing about the flood, you know, some of us, Noah, you know, whole world's wiped out, everyone's killed except for Noah's family, and how horrible is that, judgment of God, and all that kind of thing, and this person writing about that, he says what amazes him is that there was only one flood. Now, those of you who know your Bible stories know the, the, the rainbow is his promise not to do another flood kind of thing, destroy the world by water, but the concept is, is the world can get pretty bad. And sometimes you and I just show contempt for God's forgiveness because we know he will forgive us. Repentance, true repentance or course change is trusting the Lord completely. What do you mean trusting the Lord completely? When I see a principle just jump off the pages of Scripture, when my eyes are open to the light of it, when I see it, do I trust it to be right? That comes back to that claimed versus lived values. I claim some values, and they're clearly scriptural, Christ-centered. You know, there, there's definitely some things out there that are, that are absolutely clear. But do I trust them? When I trust them, then I orient orient my life around them. I recalibrate my life. If I believe that I should be honest and it's tax time and I claim that value, then when I do my taxes, I am honest. If Jesus says, watch every word you say, then when I'm talking with some friends, counterproductive and it's just malicious and slander and gossip and I know a piece of information keep in mind that claimed values lived values trusting God pastor's talked a little bit about the two gods and there's some sexual things going on there when it comes to being a Christ follower do you trust God in what he says is healthy, intimate relationships? Or don't you? What do you watch? What do you look at? What are you doing? Married, not married. All those kinds of things. We talked about that weeks ago. You get what I'm saying. When we don't follow his lead and we obviously know what his lead is, we're not trusting him. 
when you have repentance, course change, there is trusting him. And the Israelites have to learn to trust him. They actually are freaking out when they hear the Philistines are on the move. But this time they're right with God and they trust him and God takes care of it. Not much difference than 20 years early. The only difference is they really weren't sorry. They had a decaffeinated repentance, not a caffeinated repentance. Ebenezer, that word is a sign of their trust. Ebenezer means thus far has the Lord helped us, not just in this moment, but in all the moments that have led up to this moment. And that's a great idea. Ebenezer, the monument that reminds them that they can trust God. They can look all the way back to when Jacob became Israel with his 12 sons, Egypt, Joseph, eventually the Exodus, the judges, because they would go through cycles, the people of where they really were sorry, then not sorry. And then they'd pay the consequences back and forth. All of that, they can still see that God has been faithful thus far and continues to help them, and that helps them in their current moment. I don't know about you, but that helps me in my moments. I look back to where God has showed up when I'm in a moment of uncertainty, whether it's following God's lead, whether it's just uncertainty, world's crazy, and I go, wait a minute, God is my Ebenezer. Thus far, the Lord has helped me, not just in this moment I'm going through right now, but in all the moments that have led up to this moment. And some of us can track at how God has been faithful to us even before we said yes to Christ, the way he's orchestrated our life. Jesus is our Ebenezer. Jesus says these words in Matthew. What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting, so you can respond to God's giving. That's that who's first in your life, who's your God. You can't have two gods. I said earlier on, People who don't know God and the way he works fusses over all these things, but you know both God and how he works. God takes care of you. He's your Ebenezer. Up to this moment, you're in this room. You've made it this far. God has taken care of you. You know how he works. So, steep your life in God reality God initiative, God provision. Don't worry about missing out. I mean, that's one of our biggest things, isn't it? Missing out. If I follow God's word, if I follow God's direction, I feel like I'm going to miss out on something. Yeah, you're going to miss out on the consequences of disobeying him. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. That's a snapshot of Ebenezer. So, as we look at life, as we look at being sorry, as we look at repentance, decaffeinated versus caffeinated, really, I, I want to sum it up like this way, and it's going to be a little bit harsh, but I think you can take it. I think you know where I'm coming from. But this is our bottom line. The greatest of all sins is to be aware of none. 
not to beat you down, but it's to open the door of opportunity and growth in your life. God will reveal them in the right time, in the right way. Thankfully, not all at once because I couldn't handle it. But not to be aware, to think that I'm all set and done with growing. Yeah, maybe I need to be a little nicer, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, but not to think that there's anything on the horizon in my life that needs to change, that I actually need to repent of making a course change is, is not a good place to be. All of us need course changes. So how does a course change start? It starts by saying yes to Jesus, admitting that you've been out of step with him. We call that sin. You need to be connected to him through Christ. And really, on one sense, this is someone who's never said yes to Christ, but this is for us who have, because we're always realizing when we're out of step with him. Believing that Christ died for us and rose again, there is power in the resurrection. We'll talk about that on Easter. Accepting his forgiveness, his ongoing forgiveness as we grow in him. And then choosing to invite Christ into your life as the one you're going to follow. A life of loving others and loving God. And if you want to find out more about this, we've got a couple, couple, platform, or a couple pamphlets. We've got this one in the little pockets you'll find throughout the building. Looks like this. We got this little uh, booklet also you can read that talks about taking maybe an hour to read that. And that will help you with understanding your response to God so that you can not be just sorry, not just have decaffeinated sorry that really doesn't change anything about life, but caffeinated with sorry, knowing where you're out of step and what direction you need to go in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for this time. And Father, I ask if there's anyone in this room that's never said yes to you, this would be the day that they say yes. Maybe they stay right in their seat and say, are saying yes to you in the, even in this moment. Maybe they come up after the service and talk with um, Fred and Pam Bassett, who will be available down front. Whatever. And then for the rest of us, I pray that we who have said yes would be a people of repentance that we would drink a lot of caffeinated repentance in our lives. Not only for our own benefit, for those around us, so that we would they would see that we're trained for things in our lived lives, including Christ. Thank you for today. We pray all this in Jesus' wonderful name.